Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual, global gathering of phenomenal women and those of you who love them. Yes, you, mothers, daughters, grand and great-grandmothers, fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, we dig deep here and we come up strong. For those of you joining us for the first time, each month we explore a new theme inspired by you. Yes, I said you. We bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us there are some things that we just don't talk about, but not at this table. And no matter how hard judgment knocks, it cannot come in. Beloved, here we live beyond the wreckage. Every week we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week we start right where we are. I'm so excited about how the show is progressing. Would you believe we are in our 10th month? This is proof that dreams can come true. Y'all know, frankly speaking with Tyra G was one of my most precious dreams. I thank God for every remembrance of you and your gifts of ideas, your presence, your encouragement. They have truly inspired me. I can't do this show without you. Thank you so very much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we are webcast worldwide on the Internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, if y'all have a date, you go on and do that because you can catch up with us on our podcast on YouTube. Just key in, frankly speaking, with Tyra G. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, you know, that's easy. You know, I like it too, right? Just email me at Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm Listening. Our theme song these two months is Courageous Conversations. Two big words, two big ideas and sometimes very uncomfortable. For us to get the most that we can out of these two months, we're going to have to invest something of ourselves. We're going to have to show up authentic and vulnerable. We're going to have to be perfectly imperfect and to receive in love information about issues that may be uncomfortable to think about, deal with, anticipate, and forgive. We're going to contemplate, evaluate, learn about, be surprised by, and celebrate. I have received some great feedback from all the shows so far this month. What we figured out, though, was having a courageous conversation is often a process. It's a journey. It's not an event. Sometimes we have to grow into it. Sometimes we know we need to have one, and we're not ready for it. So sometimes courageous conversations happen in and stay in our heads or our hearts. Yeah, sometimes courageous conversations are dressed in silence. 
We all have had times or seasons when it required courage to make it from one moment to the next, to take the step, the next step, then the next step, or to say the next word. And sometimes we let fear and shame and guilt demonize our potential to overcome. But for now, for today, we're going to pause in a place where we can be mirrors for one another. Our goal is to better understand topics that don't make it into polite conversations or the dinner table. We're going to look beyond and behind terms like human trafficking, domestic violence, child abuse, drug poisoning, homelessness, etc., 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 to create our common thought space for today and to introduce our topic, I want you to listen to the words of Ms. Susan Burton, author of Becoming Miss Burton, From Prisoner to Recovery, Leading the Fight for Incarcerated Women. After six prison terms, a former inmate helps other women rebuild their lives. And I quote, Susan Burton knows just how hard it is to get back on the truck after being released from prison. It's an experience she lived through six times, one for each of the prison terms she served. One of the things about incarceration is that you're deprived. You lose all of your identity, and then it's given back one day, and you're ill-equipped to actually embrace it and work it, Burton says. Each time I left prison, I left with the resolve to get my life together, to get a job, to get back on track. And each time, the task became more and more and more daunting. Burton's prison sentences were all drug-related. After her sixth release, she finally received the additional treatment and counseling she so desperately needed. Slowly, she began to build her own life. Then she turned her attention to others in Watts, the Los Angeles neighborhood she'd grown up in. Knowing what it was like to get out of prison with no prison with no money and no safe place to live, Burton started a home for women in the same position. Gradually, Burton's organization, A New Way of Life, expanded from one home to five. In addition to housing, it offered 12-step programs, counseling, and other help to women coming out of prison. So many nights, she says, after I've gone into prison and lay my head on pillows, it's, it's a heavy head that I lay on the pillows, she says. But she adds, it's not hard for me to go back because I'm going in with the purpose of freeing people. Burton traces her journey from prison to recover, recovery and her efforts to help others. This one's hard to hear, but listen up. Miss Burton says, I have two really strong memories. One memory is sitting in the back seat of my car as mother drove, drove me to Auntie to Carmela State Hospital where she would pick up the boyfriend who would sit across from me who I knew was going to harm me. I can remember counting the trees as a four-year-old little girl and I would be one, two, three, and when I got to tree 22, danger would get in the car with me. And all while counting, I can remember trying to just fade into the upholstery of the car because he was going to harm me and I didn't know how to talk about the harm that he was going to do. 
Also, my auntie, when she realized what was happening one day, she gave all the responsibility to me and called me a dirty little girl and swore me to secrecy. So I didn't know what to do with that, and I carried it with me, and I carried instances of abuse and trauma with me until I was 46 years old, walking through the halls of a prison. I went to pick up my son from school and walking back home and was in the house preparing dinner, and he came in and gave me a flower that was full of ants, and he went back out to play and ran into the street and got hit by a car. The car happened to be driven by an LAPD detective. So he hit my son. He killed him. He never even got out of his car. All of a sudden, there just seemed like hundreds of police all around. And at the hospital, hundreds of police walking back and forth. And the doctor comes out and tells me my son is deceased. And I ask, can I see him? And as I go in and my son is laying there with his little blood kind of dripping out of his nostril and he's dead I fall into depression and anger and rage and I begin to drink and I drink at the loss of my son but I also drink because the police department never even acknowledged never even said Miss Burton I'm sorry you've lost your son I mean never between the sadness the rage the anger the loss I began to drink heavily and that escalated into drug drug use The war on drugs was about to take hold in all the communities. But Watts was one of those most hard hit. I began to smoke crack. And that sent me to prison. I went to prison over and over and again until I found help. Long before I ever got incarcerated, I should have been able to access services to help me deal with grief and the loss of my son that helped me deal with trauma the abuse that I experienced as a child. That should have happened long before I even got incarcerated. Those things just weren't accessible in a community like South L.A., in the community of Watts. We as a community experienced violence, trauma, loss almost on a daily basis, and there were no places we could actually go to address the violence, to find solutions to the violence, and resolve the trauma. That can make our community safe. So we were over-policed and under-resourced. Let that sit for a minute. After a break, we're going to meet a woman who is going to be authentic and vulnerable in telling her story and who can identify with Miss Burton like most of us cannot. You'll want to stay close now. And we are back. I want you to open your hearts and your minds to Ms. Helenia Bragg, who's in the studio with me tonight. Helenia, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for inviting me. I was uh, I always ask my guests to introduce themselves, and of course I have a hidden agenda. I think no one can tell your story like you can. So why don't you take a couple of three minutes and... Let our audience hear you in your own words. Tell us what you want them to know. Yes. Um, my name is Helena Bragg. I have over 40 years of substance abuse, over 40 years of drinking and drugging. I drink and drug like peanut butter and jelly on a daily basis. Like Miss Burden, I have multiple times in and out of prison. That's heavy. 
that is heavy. And you and I both know you don't just do that. There are reasons that you get into that pattern. Tell us a little bit about how you got to that place. My addiction mm -hmm. took me in places that I don't like to remember, but I know I can't forget. Okay. Because if I forget, I'm subject to repeat. And that part of my life, I will use only as a stepping stone. Okay. After doing over 10 years in prison, and I was looking forward to my release date. But as my release date became closer, mm -hmm. I was afraid. Talk I was about afraid that. to get out of prison because the other times, I had been in prison four times. That was my fourth time. Mm -hmm. My other times, once I was released, I returned to the same places with the same people doing the same thing. And no matter what my frame of mind was, I always followed right back into the same thing, the same routine of self-destruction, lying, stealing, and drugging. Mm -hmm. This time, I didn't want that for myself. I was afraid of that because this time I was blessed with the opportunity to expand my mind through education. Okay. And once I began to educate myself and attend college classes, mm -hmm. I found self-worth. And I realized that I deserve success and that I was capable of being better than what I have been. Now, I want you to say that again because this is my mantra. Anytime I'm, I'm speaking with young women, women my age, is do you understand that you're worthy? I do. And every one of us has to get in touch with that in order to be the person we were created to be. And so I heard you say education. That was the, the trigger. That was the key for me. That was the key that it opened up areas of the world that I had never considered before. Uh -huh. Political, foreign affairs, science, nature. Uh -huh. And I embraced it. Um, I had a thirst for knowledge. And once I began to be successful in school, mm -hmm. I had been awarded the Sunshine Scholarship from the Doris Buffett Foundation. So all of my education was paid for. To what I, school? Uh, Piedmont, Virginia Community College. Excellent. Okay. I received a social degree mm -hmm. in, general, in general studies. Okay. So with my education and my vocational training, I had tools for success. Okay. But I had nowhere to apply them. Uh-oh. I had no safe place to go. All of my friends and my family that I could have went to, mm -hmm. they was either drinking, drugging, or involved in negativity. And how long, because I hear you saying you went through the process and you went through community college, so you were separate from that environment, from those friends and from family during that period of time? In prison. Okay. I was in prison when okay. I got my education. All I right, so we need to make that clear. When I found my self-worth. Okay. That is critical because now we know it's not bricks and mortar. It's not a building. It's not where you are that changes you. It's who you are. 
And I'm hearing you say, I broke it. I went to school, I learned new things, and I realized I deserve to have a life differently. So, okay, now it's time for you to get out of prison. You've got tools, but you don't have any place to go. And I was afraid. I was petrified of being released. Wow. The place that my counselor and my probation officer were trying to get me into in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. it fell through. It didn't have bed space upon my release. Some kind of way, and I'm from Alexandria. Okay. I had knew of the guest house. Mm-hmm. I've heard of the guest house when it opened up in 1975, 74. Okay. But I never thought about going there. Okay, what is the guest house? The guest house is a transitional, safe place for women to come upon incarceration where they can have tools to better themselves in a safe environment. They provide medical, mm-hmm. educational, mm-hmm. job training, and transportation. All the things you need for success, all you have to do is apply. Friends of the guest house, 1 East Luray. Avenue, <laughs> Alexandra, Virginia. Okay. All right. That's a commercial. You aren't selling anything, so I guess we'll let that one ride. Um, I um, I heard you say something else, not in words, but the meaning, no matter what you have, if you don't have a safe place to go, the temptation or the ability to stay in that place of worthiness is hard. It is. And um, let's let's just uh, freeze for a moment at you realizing you didn't have the bed in the other place. What was that like that day when you I got panic? The, you panic. I panic because if I had to go out into society mm-hmm. on my own, mm-hmm. I would prefer to stay in prison because how many times can you OD and live? That's a good point. How many times can you steal other people's property and not get hurt? How many times can you manipulate people and not be physically harmed? I was not willing to put myself in those positions to do those things that I had done before. I wanted something different. Now, I'm here, and something just came to me. Okay, uh, okay we're in prison. We're going to school. Somebody there was somebody, or was there somebody, that flipped your script? What, was there somebody that deposited into you while you were incarcerated that made you want to take the classes, that made you want to walk in your worthiness? Well, yes, it was. And it was another program, a substance abuse program, when I started working the program of recovery okay. on a daily basis. Okay. When I started getting over my shame and guilt and being able to look myself in the mirror and look in my eyes in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And when I began to correct myself, because when you live in a life of drinking and drugging in the streets, lies become your truth. I heard that. The truth varies depending on who you're talking to and what your purpose is. Mm-hmm. So often... I did not realize I was lying until I thought about what I was saying. So as I worked the program of recovery, 
I had to be rigorously honest with myself. Okay. And tell the truth. Strip myself of these false prides and the false images that I was wearing that was keeping me in addiction. Okay. So we took off the mask and you looked in the mirror. And what you have just said to me, Helenia, is I became vulnerable. I became vulnerable. Yeah. So that meant, okay, here I am. Let me build myself. Help me remake me. And I was afraid because I was out of my comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Okay. I was out of my comfort zone by telling the truth, by doing what is right instead of doing anything that I chose to do or anything to get what I needed to have at that moment. So that made me vulnerable and afraid. So each day it was a new adventure, working the program of mm-hmm. recovery. Mm-hmm. Okay. I hope you all are hearing this. I had so much shame and guilt, so much shame and guilt that it was hard for me to even have a conversation about the things that Miss Burton wrote about. Okay. Because I had packed those things so far away in my mind, and they had been medicated with drinking and drugging for so many years that I did not think about them. And when I thought about them, I would drink and drug them away because I did not want to feel that pain. But once I started working a program of recovery, I felt all of that pain. Mm, mm. And I had to sit through that pain mm. and cleanse myself mm-hmm. of that pain mm-hmm. by talking about it. So was it in a small group where you just talking to one person or was it a group uh, substance abuse, abuse recovery program? It was a program. Okay, so. And I was a co-facilitator. Look at you. I was very vulnerable. And yet you were the co-facilitator. So you were investing more than you thought you had to give. And may I add, that was a top-paying job. I made 45 cents an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shucks, when you left, you should have been driving you a sports car. (laughs) 45 cents an hour. 45 cents an hour. And now that you say when I left, I I do want to say this also, uh, Miss G. When I went into transitional living uh-huh. at Friends of Guest House, uh-huh. I had on really a prison outfit, just like you see in the movies. The khaki pants, yeah, they were too big. A khaki jacket, uh-huh. and a plaid shirt, uh-huh. underclothes, socks, and state shoes. And box, a big box. Uh-huh. So you would have thought I had a lot of clothes. What was in your box? A box of books. I love it. Helena, that's <clears throat> awesome. I had a box of books. That was my worldly possession. But what a worldly possession. I you had knowledge. Know. I didn't want to leave them behind. I know. I gave away my socks, my sports bras, but I didn't give away my books. Okay, now here, I've got this visual of you, okay, walking, and I've been privileged and blessed to go to uh, Guest House and have a tour. Um, okay, so I'm seeing you now walking in the front door, and uh, <clears throat> how did you how did you get from your khaki, from your state-issue clothes to what I see you in now? What happened? 
this might be a commercial break. Oh, okay. Friends of Guest House. <laughs> they provided everything for me that I needed. The clothes. They say, take her to the clothes closet. I went to the clothes closet. I picked out clothes that fit me. The things that they didn't have to fit me, they gave me a uh, a card. Uh-huh. A gift card. Uh-huh. Go to Target. They gave me a bag of personal hygiene. Yeah. See, these are the things that especially women need when they are re-entering. Yeah. They need some place where they can get the basic necessities. Yes. Clothes, personals. The personal items, yes, yes. Because if you don't have a safe place to live, and those are the things I just mentioned, women become very vulnerable, and people take advantage of a vulnerable woman. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So it is so important that there are places like Friends of Guest House for women that don't have anywhere to go. And um, I, in all fairness, uh, that's important for everybody to have a safe place to go. We are focusing right now on your story, but the significance of what you're saying is with those things, you can feel like a human being. I did. Without those things... I would have been vulnerable. Once more time. Once more. Where would I have been? In the streets, Mm -hmm. fending for myself. Mm -hmm. How long would I have been able to keep my sobriety if I'm homeless, if I'm hungry. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's, let's, let's take your first day, okay? We're knocking on the door at Guest House, you and your box. What happens when you come through the door? What happens to you? What do you think? What do you see? What do you feel when you walk through that door? Oh, I see uh, a bunch of women that I had knew from incarceration, and oh. they calling my name. Okay. And I'm just looking at them like this, threw up my hand, and I'm looking for the staff. And I see the staff, uh-huh. and we lock eyes. Uh-huh. And I say to her, what do you want me to do? Okay. And she reminds me of that today. What that I came in there willing to do whatever I needed to do. I said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to put this box? Now what? I want to, That's what I'm curious about. Where, where did they tell you to put the box? It was my personal stuff. They went through it and gave it back to me. And then they gave you a place at guest house. It was your place. They gave me a bed. All right. And you knew that the respect that existed and the structure that existed at guest house that your box would be there. Yes. Trust. Yes. Okay. So what, what I heard you say, knock, 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 boom, you come in. You had friends there already. And then you had staff you'd never met. But the question you asked was, what can I do? You owned, you became accountable right away to your new life. That's big. And I wanted to know, what is it that you expect of me? What do what you did they want say me to, to you? do? Because I'm open to change. There you go. What'd you say? They say, sit that box down. <laughs> Have a seat. 
Okay. All right. So, so the box is on the floor. Now, can we we can go further now? What else happened? The box is on the floor. I was like, uh, what they call it, orientation. I was I went through my orientation. Okay. And, you know, and I was really really excited because when I was incarcerated, I had um, accumulated some trades like uh, HVAC, building maintenance, printing. Wait, 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 wait. You're going too fast. You mean to tell me you have a skill set that includes? Building maintenance, HVAC, printing. I had an entrepreneurship certification from the University of Virginia Darden School of Business. Okay. I had an associate Now, I've been degree. there, and they didn't give me a certification. <laughs> how, how, how you get a certification? Okay, now this is all good. I had an associate degree from Piedmont, Virginia Community College. So I'm ready okay. for employment. All right. I'm ready to get a job. Okay. So I can start my life. All right. And? Beautiful resume. And? That the case managers helped me construct. I already had one, mm-hmm. but we revised it. Okay. Nine months, no job. All of my skills, nine months, no job. Because even though in many of the places I went, mm-hmm. they did not have their box, have you been convicted of a felon? Yes. They had list your addresses you've had for the last 10 years. Gotcha. I was like the, over 10 years. So all of my addresses were prison addresses. Yeah, yeah. P.O. box. Yeah. So... I had a hard time of finding a job. Well, let's 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 freeze that. Okay, you know you're ready, and you say I'm worthy. You're in a safe place. What happens to you month after month after month, not having the right address? What happened inside of you? I mean, you're here now. You just like you're like the Energizer Bunny. I'm gonna just keep going and going and going. But something had to happen, Alina. You had to, you had to go I through that. I never lost my self worth. I never lost my self worth. I attended my NA and my AA meetings. Okay. I networked with people in recovery. Okay, good. I networked with the volunteers to come in and out of friends of guest house. Mm-hmm. And finally, I said, "Well, I'll create my own job. I'm going back to school." And she did. (laughs) Talk about that. This is good. I'm going to create my own job. Somewhat like Miss Burden again. Uh I would like to meet that lady. So I had a business plan. Okay. From being in um, UVA School of Darden Entrepreneurship. Okay. And so my business plan was for a nonprofit agency that will assist women coming out of incarceration with educational or vocational training to find career opportunities. Not just a job, because a job is often a setup. Yes. Especially for a woman that have kids and trying to get custody of her kids and some place mm-hmm. to live. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to find a job when you have that F tattoo across your forehead. I hear you. I hear you. So I said, I'm going to create my own okay. job. Nobody behind me? I'm going to create my own job. So... I started applying for financial aid, and I got enrolled in Howard, 
because when I was a kid, I used to admire Howard and um, Debbie Allen and Gil Scott Hearn and mm-hmm. Donald Byrd. I used to sit on the wall and watch them go in and out of the radio station. And I said, I always wanted to go there. Uh-huh. So I went. Okay. I went to Howard, but I didn't get my job at Howard. I didn't get my job through Howard. I got my job through networking with friends at Guest House at a re-entry summit. Say it again. You get to do it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I got my first job, telling my story. And a lady was in the audience. She worked, uh, She's the general manager at a big chain hotel. Okay. And she gave me my first job. Now, you use the verb she gave you. I would. She gave me the opportunity. She there you go. The and you had set yourself, you had positioned yourself so that she could see into you the value she wanted to invest. So, you know, she wasn't giving you something. She was getting something, too. Yeah. And that's what you always have to remember. Okay, so keep going. I'm liking the story. Well, I worked there, and I kept going to school. Mm-hmm. Howard. And... As you grow, and you may grow out of relationships. Yes. Well, I grew out of my relationship with Howard University. Okay. Um, I wasn't satisfied with the credits that they was giving me from my associate degree. So, and transferring credits to yes. Howard. Okay. So... I transferred to Merrimont. Okay. Well, they gave me all of my credits, 63 credits. And in the process of that, I was participating with this group called Back on My Feet. Uh-huh. Nonprofit also. And the opportunity came available that there was open a new program Transitional House in Washington, D.C. for young women, 18 to 24, and they were staffing it. Okay. So between Back on My Feet mm-hmm. and Friends of Guest House, they recommended me, and the lady interviewed me. Mm-hmm. And she almost hired me right on the spot. But we had to do backgrounds, and that's where I work now. Okay. Um, freeze again. You're in the interview with the lady. What is that like? What did it feel like? Were you confident? Did you know this is it? I got this? Or uh, were you, I hope I get this? Or I see that look on your face. I knew it was my job. (laughs) (laughs) Because the things that she was saying are the things that I felt. Okay. You know, she had lived this type of life also. So she wanted a house for young women so they wouldn't have to be vulnerable to the things that she was vulnerable for, too, like sex trafficking. Yes, yes, yes. So she put in a lot of work and fundraising to get this house. That is awesome. And she didn't have staff. She didn't have any staff, just Mm -hmm. herself. So Mm -hmm. she was interviewing people for it. Mm -hmm. So who best can work with those women than a woman like myself that has been through that. Because you remember I told you, I have over 40 years of drinking and drugging and committing <laughs> crimes. Yes, yes, yes. So 
I have a lot to tell these women. A lot of experiences use me as a person that you don't want to repeat the behaviors of my past. Because anybody, you can start out at 15, 16, drinking and drugging, shoplifting. And next thing you know, that's a continuous pattern. You're no longer 15, you're 35. I hear you. You're no longer going to the juvenile facilities. You're going to prison. Yeah, yeah. And that time can slip away from you, mm-hmm. but you can never get it back. I want you to hold that thought. I'm going to take a very brief break. And then what I'd like for you to do is take me through a day at your job, the one that you, the one that you just talked about, okay? We'll be right back. And we are back. Let's talk. We are here with Ms. Helenia Bragg, who's got a story to tell. Uh, I think it's fair to say we're talking to a woman on a journey who found her wealth and worth worthiness in prison. She brought it out, and she is just growing it, and she's got something she's wanting to share and de- deposit in the next generation. Uh, I asked Helenia before the break, to think about sharing with us a day in the life of her job, and I hope you'll do that now. Oh, but of course. Um, I'm working in a a youth home, transitional home for women, young women in Washington, D.C., called Her her Resilience. So uh, even though it's very important to keep the order of the house, you know, make sure the rules are not violated, but I tend to take more focus and attention on the women and how they feel about themselves today. I hear you. Before they go out the door. What are your plans? Now comment on their hair, on their clothes. You look beautiful. That's a beautiful color on you. How do you feel in that color? Uh, what are your plans for today? You know, I, I try to open up a communication with them where they see that we care about what is happening in your life and that you are uh, a diamond in the rough. Don't belittle yourself or sell yourself short because you have great opportunities out there and I try to be a motivating factor in their life and even using the addiction and incarceration of my life as a guide not to follow. I um, heard a couple of things. Um, What you do is what every human being needs. What you do is you say you have value and you're specific. I like your hair. I like your color. You ask them a question to connect and engage. And that's setting, in my opinion, a subliminal expectation. You know, once they have that that positive push out the door, mm-hmm. they want to continue it through the day. And I suspect when they come home, if they see you, they got some more questions like, "How was your day?" Right? Yes. And I and I I, I don't want to be like a figure of authority to them. You know, I want to be someone where they could come to and feel safe in sharing a problem or a concern and. I want them to not be ashamed of the things that they have done. Yes, yes, yes. 
Yes. But to find a way to find peace within what they have done and realize that you can't undo, but you can move ahead. Amen. Yes. yes. Don't let your past define your future. I think there's a book in you somewhere. Have you written it already? Did I haven't. Okay, we're going to have I'm to I'm living it. I know that, but we're going to have to document this. That's what I think. Um, let me say thank you for what you do on your job from those women and from me and from all of us that understand just how important that is and what happens when it's not received. Um, yeah. And what makes those young women so important to me and that they feel good about themselves is because when I was growing up, I liked that in my life. That was not in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of criminal activity. All around you? All around me in my life, mm-hmm. in my family. Mm-hmm. And I admired the wrong type of people. I admired the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the pimps, Mm -hmm. because they always had money. They were my family, Mm -hmm. and they always seemed to be happy, and they was dressed up and had nice cars. Mm -hmm. We didn't have Oprah Winfrey, Holly Bird, you know, Dizel Washington. We didn't have those type of heroes in my neighborhood then. Mm -hmm. So it is so good now that people that can set a positive example in the lower income is taking their time through their success to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because in my neighborhood at that time, only the people that was making fast money, the number runner, Mm -hmm. the drug dealers, Mm -hmm. the prostitutes, they were the people that gave the little kids quarters, dimes. They were the people that we admired. Absolutely. I I remember... um, I taught school for a while, and then I became a principal, but then I also was a principal of a school where all of the students, all 800 of them, had been adjudicated and uh, from age 10 to 18, and 14 of them were girls. And the first day I was hired to, I guess they said the word, turn the school around, right. change it. And the first day I went into the school, I remember two of the girls said, they had to be searched. They had to be bussed in, you know, because we had to get the, the razors out of their mouth and, you know, all kinds of things. Well, they told me in words that I can't say on the show. On the radio. Uh, what my future would be, right? And um, I remembered something. Let me fast forward and tell you, by the end of the year, all of them wanted me to adopt them. Mm. And what I did was love them through. I expected them to achieve. I expected them to come. And I took them out to a lunch where they didn't have to dress in, in uniforms. No hoochie mama clothes. But I had, we practiced how to eat, what the, you know, what the placement, and I had flowers for each one of them. And what I realized was I saw with my own eyes what we know as theory. I watched them over a year mm. start to expect good things for themselves. And uh, we start computer lab, a newspaper. Education. We, there you go. And what I, what I was sad about, 
they put the school in an industrial area. There were no books in the school. They would just come and sit. And so I started the Boys Town model. So we had cottages, two and three teachers in each cottage. And I got books volunteered. Mm. Uh, and the percentage of attendance went up. But it only went up because I said, everybody, all my staff, you will say positive things. And this you'll appreciate, Helenia. We had a, a, a point store. So if they had good behavior, they got points. They could go and buy things. You know what they bought? Points to go back to a regular school. They would pass by CDs and all the mm. other things you would think they would want. They wanted to go back into school. So I think what you're doing is that very similar principle with the girls. Hey, guess what? I expect you to have a good day. I expect you to know how good you look. I expect mm -hmm. you to understand. That's a great color for you. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got, we just. <sighs> and you know, when you was talking about being in that school, it made me think. Um, I used to go to high school in Alexandria, George Washington High School, and they started busing, and they transferred all of us to T.C. Williams. Yeah. And I was in the second group. Okay. And the first group was uh, Remember the Titans. So I was like after that group. <laughs> and when I went to TC, they gave me books, and they were brand new books. And people need to understand, since this is an international show, in Virginia, um, there are schools that have, some schools have a lot more than others. Yeah. TC Williams was a very well, and is a very well endowed school. And the expectations of the students is high. They expect you to succeed. And I think you're saying you walked into that environment from one that was not and like I it. I was so intimidated. The books, all the pages were there. There was no curse words written in the books. And I looked at the book, and of a page, there was words that I could pick out. Uh-huh. I could not read a paragraph. And so this experience at T.C. Williams... It intimidated me. It made me feel inferior. That's probably why once I began school in prison uh -huh. and I was successful and I was learning and I was comprehending, mm -hmm. it gave me self-worth. Okay. Okay. And you could probably go back to that T.C. Williams experience and knock it out now. I, I'm, I knew this was going to happen. It always happens. When I have a guest, I get so excited. I had asked Kalenia to write a letter to her younger self, and we're about out of time. So I'm going to say you have to come back and finish that thing, but I want you to read your letter now. Oh, okay. Would you do that for me? I will. Okay, dear. Hi, little one. You got here a little early. I'm told that's not good, but you will be okay. I guess you know that you weren't playing. Your mom is only 15 and your dad is 17. They don't know what to do with you. How can they raise you when they are still growing up themselves? They have named you after your dad's sister, Helena. She committed suicide four months before you were born. Your grandma would take you and love you, would be... You would be her first grandchild. She would love you and care for you as long as she can. 
Then there will come a time that your mother is maturing and thinks she is ready to be a mother. She will come to get you from your safety net. She will take you to a place where there will be a lot of things around you that you won't like or understand. If you can stay away from the mischief around you, that would be great. If you fall weak to the things around you, don't give up on yourself. You can do anything that you set your mind to. There will be times that you feel like a motherless child. Just know that God is on your side, and he is the best knower and the best planner. There's a plan for you. That's why you are here on earth. You will learn to have faith in yourself and know the world isn't against you. Believe that doing the right thing is better than doing the easiest thing. When you make a mistake, try not to repeat it. If you do repeat it, that too is okay. Some of us learn faster than others. Embrace your life. Take time to enjoy the simple beauties of this world. Smile at a stranger. Smell a rose. Do something for someone without expectations. Share what you have and know that all your needs will be met. Grow into the best person you can. Embrace the beauty around you and remember to smile. No pain will last long, so dance in the rain. Oh, Helena. Oh, I'm so glad I cut you off. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. I, Thank you. I, will you come back? I will. Oh, wow. I'm just going to let the music play. We've been listening to the wisdom, the courage, the commitment, and the passion of Miss Helenia Bragg. Be well. Your seat is guaranteed at the table. I'll see you next week. This is Frankly Speaking with Tyra G at www.radiofairfax.org. Bye now.